what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. U.S. health advisors want you to know your health coverage does not have to be complicated. If you aren't happy with your insurance plan, there are unlimited and comprehensive medical plan options available to you right now. U.S. health advisors offer solutions which can't be found anywhere else. They can even offer you the ability to purchase more coverage if and when you need it. U.S. Health Advisors offers fair rates and no surprises. Sounds nice, doesn't it? If you'd like to know more, contact U.S. Health Advisors at 828-554-3032 or by email at daniel.bryant at ushadvisors.com. Welcome to The Forecast. We are your connection to the who's who in the game of golf. We hope to make you laugh and learn and grow your golf IQ. I'm your host, Alan Burton, Director of Instruction for the Alan Burton Golf Academy at Lake Hickory Country Club in Hickory, North Carolina. I'd like to thank our listeners for tuning in. You can find us on TheMesh.tv and all your favorite podcast platforms such as Apple iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, iHeartRadio, and Google Play. Be sure to check out all the other shows on TheMesh.tv. We've got a great selection of podcasts, no matter what your interest. Hey, if you're interested in being an advertiser, please send us a message. You can reach us at info at TheMesh.tv. For more information, go to TheMesh.tv slash advertise. And we look forward to hearing from all the potential advertisers if you'd like to reach that target audience. Hey, look, I am so excited I'm joined this morning by one of my good buddies and a great golf instructor down in uh, Charleston, South Carolina area. Please welcome this morning Mr. Brandon Ray to the show. Hey, Brandon. Thanks for joining us, man. Hey, Alan. Thanks for having me. It's uh, raining here this morning, so it's a great morning to do a podcast and get this rain out of here and teach this afternoon. Well, that's fantastic, man. I tell you, I've been a fan of yours a long time. I know we've We've met several years ago at different uh, coach-teacher uh, functions, and I've always watched you through social media. I've never been on your lesson tee, but I look forward to coming down sometime soon and checking out what you're doing there in person. I know there's some great things going on under your um, your constructed swing shack, I think you call it, that you put up in 2016 down there. And I'm very envious of your indoor and covered teaching bay, my friend. I'm, uh, I'm fascinated. Tell us some more about what you did to create that space. Yeah, it was, it's actually a huge accomplishment for me. I, I think uh, as every teacher, I've been at Patriots Point for 10 years now teaching. And, you know, about five years in, I just started going, I'm losing a lot of business to the weather. And, uh, mm-hmm. and, and the opportunity to build a, a teaching center here, it's just one bay, but it allows me to keep teaching on days like today in the rain. Uh, it displays my technology better. Uh, I use video and flight scope radar in every lesson. Uh, the building is lined up directly down a target line. So we're accurately measuring every swing the student takes. We do fittings and club repair here as well. Um, and I've had staff work for me as well. And so it creates an office space where we can get everything done and, and stay organized for junior golf and lessons. Um, but it's just a, it's been a great facility. I've had a lot of guys ask about it. Uh, in the business. And I've even had it copied. Um, a company out of Canada started copying and selling a sim- similar version of it. Um, yeah, so smart. I think that is a huge compliment that we must have done something right on our first try of building it here. 
Well, I think you've done a great job there creating a space to teach. I know as an instructor myself, I've been in situations where I had nothing in the way of an indoor or covered opportunity. And you're right, the weather is a huge factor here. Uh, and probably most anywhere you are, there's going to be times in the year where you're just going to fight that weather. Um, for, fortunately for me, I did get an indoor opportunity over at Catawba Springs in the last three years, and I've enjoyed teaching in an indoor environment where that technology can really be utilized correctly and, and keep, uh, keep it safe and dry and all the, all the things that we're looking to do. So that's fantastic. I know you've got a lot of influences. Man, I was looking across this uh, list of folks that you've worked with. We need to mention a few of them. Uh, Mike Perpich, of course, our good buddy David Orr, Ted Fort, uh, Lynn Blake. And most recently, I know you've, you've made uh, several trips out to Los Angeles, the Westlake Village area, uh, to spend some time with George Gankus. And Gigi himself is, is really kind of moving the needle a little bit on, on uh, social media and doing a lot for our game, and I know you've been out to see him quite a bit. Uh, tell us about how that relationship started and, and what's going on there. Yeah, um, so teaching, you know, I had two issues that all my students were struggling with several years ago. I shouldn't say all of them, but it was the two issues that I would go home at night and it would bother me, um, you know, that I was looking for ways to solve these issues faster. And the two issues were, I wanted to get my players more turned through impact. I wanted to get them to rotate their bodies better. Mm -hmm. And when they didn't rotate their bodies, I noticed that they would early extend, as we call it in the golf business, or for everybody else, they would just stand up through impact. And uh, so I had a student come in, Mark Paulson, and he had the worst looking setup I'd seen that week. His back was hunched over. Um, and he didn't look very athletic at address. And I went to correct the setup and he goes, no, that's what I'm working on. I got it from George Gankus and it allows me to stay down and rotate through the shot. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I got it on video and, and he was correct. What he was doing was actually creating, um, where he would start with his armpits over his kneecaps and the balls of his feet. And when you do that, your back's going to look more rounded Mm-hmm. And your belt line is going to be more level. So your butt's not going to be stuck out. Mm-hmm. And starting that way taller allows you to get where you can get your butt stuck out more on the downswing and get your back to flatten or extend. Um, and uh, so it created the alignments I was looking for. Sure. Um, and so, you know, from there, I started doing research on, on George and I went to coach camp and I think we were at the same coach camp and, I heard George talk and, and uh, it was just one of those moments where I said, I got to go start hanging out on this guy's lesson tee and see him do it live. Sure. And uh, so I've been out five separate weeks to hang out with George. I've taken over uh, 10 lessons myself uh, from George and I've seen him teach over a hundred lessons. And, and during that time, it's probably been about 16 months that I've been going to see George live. Uh, I've increased my club head speed by eight to 10 miles an hour on the driver um, which is about 30 yards of distance for me. Yeah, well, that's um, huge. So, and I've seen the same results with my players. Well, I think it's fascinating, you know, for me as, as a coach, too, to figure out what ways we can use to get players to move better. And sometimes you just – you don't want to always make the assumption that it's the player's inability to move. You know, it might be their positioning and how they're trying to use their body and what they've been told to do. 
So, um, you know, let's go into some, some depth a little bit with, with that setup position. You talk about getting the armpits over the kneecaps and, and then the straight line from there would move on down to the balls of the player's feet. You know, what are the things that you're thinking that physically this position is doing to give that player an edge or an ability to move better? Well, so there's a couple of things I would say that one is that you always hear the comment golf is a game of opposites. And, and in this case, I think it's dead on. So when we get set up too athletically um, with our butt out and we get on our toes, you know, the natural inclination when you get on your toes is to jump or to move vertically from there. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you do the opposite and, and you get where you're set up taller, then you can move down uh, as the, as the motion continues. And so that setup is, is really the start of three or four things that I think George does that, that allows his players to, to rotate better and to get into the ground. And, and so the second thing that I was going to mention is when you start taller like that, my players and I feel like we're lighter and everybody on the golf channel and everything says, you got to use the ground. Mm-hmm. And so where you should be using the ground never really gets mentioned, but that should be when the left arm is parallel to the ground on the downswing. Mm-hmm. We call that P5 or position five. Right. And so if we set up taller, we can start working into the ground at P5, left arm parallel to the ground on the downswing. So then we can push off the ground to continue our rotation. Sure. And uh, so it starts with the setup. Um, But the other factors that are going to affect it from there is going to be, you know, in the backswing, making sure the club face doesn't roll too open, Um, making sure that even at the top of the swing, we're still tall and extending our spine. We're not getting into the ground too early, so we can do it at that P5 position on the downswing. Um, So so at the point... really cool to see the results. Yeah, so at the point that the player has transitioned and their left arm is parallel to the ground... Uh, using, you know, force plates or, or pressure measuring technology uh, on the ground, do you see that they have most of their pressure at that point on the forward foot, 80, 80, 90 percent there at that point? Yeah, so this would be um, kind of like a key difference in the way George describes the movement and that I, I've seen help with my players. So a lot of conventional instruction has been that from the top of the backswing uh, to P5 on the downswing or left arm parallel, there's a movement into the left foot uh, hard with the pressure. And that is an effective way of doing it. Um, but if you bump your hips laterally to do that or you're sliding, um, then you could be giving up rotation. And so what George's players are doing is they're actually trying to stay centered over the golf ball and rotate as that pressure moves to the left foot, but there's not a lateral slide. Mm -hmm. Now, that's not to say that there is no slide in George's golf swing. What happens is with his players like Matt Wolf is that lateral motion is later, closer to impact. So it's after the P5 alignment that they're starting to move laterally. So they feel like they rotate first and then they move forward towards the target. Now, pressure could be going to the left foot just by that rotation. Mm-hmm. Sure. Did you find that there's, you know, players, their ball play, placement has to be appropriate for proper contact if they're struggling a little bit? What do you find you do with their ball placement when you're putting these pieces into place? 
Yeah, I, I think, you know, ball placement, the cool thing about teaching and watching anybody teach is, you know, I, I feel like ball placement is something that's not a constant for every player. If we look mm -hmm. at, you know, a Jack Nicholas, he played every ball forward. Sure. Um, Arnold Palmer was more middle mm -hmm. on irons. And so, um, you know, I'm willing to adjust ball placement to make sure that the low point of the swing is in front of it. Um, the other thing I want to do is make sure that I'm getting enough rotation and forward movement by impact uh, that that sternum is getting more over or in front of the golf ball because that's going to help get that low point in front of that ball. Sure, and I think sometimes golfers are instinctful in, in ways that uh, are harmful. <laughs> you know, if you give them a very forward ball position, they may move laterally very early in transition just to try and get to a more forward ball location. So it's interesting how the ball influences their lateral movement versus their rotational movement. Do you find that to be true as well? Yeah, I agree 100% with that. And, you know, what we've talked about so far, you know, sounds really technical, but you know, if we were to back up and let's say we had a beginner and we're talking about low point, you know, I always start with a half swing and I have them hit the ground and brush the ground. Mm -hmm. And then I have them spot where they're brushing the ground relative to their feet. And we put the ball there in the beginning. Sure. Uh, so the low point is just in front of the ball. And, and then we kind of start building that golf swing off of it because as technical as we've been so far, you know, I think the order that you teach a golf swing is always going to be controlling low point first so you can get the ball airborne. Sure. Uh, then getting a centered contact. Let's get that ball in the center of the club face so we get a consistent distance. But that centered contact is actually also going to influence the direction a little bit. So we want to get it on the center of the face, and then we want to align the face, and then we build the golf swing around that, really. Absolutely. It's all about building the swing so that you can control the ball and make it do what you want it to do, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it is. And it, it's a lot of fun once we get that going. I, I've, uh, I've got a group of high school juniors now that I'm working with that are, you know, they're starting to score in the 70s all the time and hit the ball further. And, uh, you know, that's the most rewarding thing about teaching is once that player starts getting a ball flight that they can take on the golf course, um, that's when it really gets fun. Yeah, you know, seeing what they can do with it from there. Well, you've also got a great reputation of taking some young, talented coaches and teachers and giving them an opportunity to flourish. And, you know, we should mention, you know, you've had several of young guys work for you have now gone on to do other things. Talk a little bit about your, uh, your, your work there and, and your mentorship with some of these young pros. Yeah, um, so I've had two guys work for me over the years full-time and then I've had a lot of guys work part-time um, helping with mainly the junior program but they do go into teaching adult lessons as well. Sure. Steven Danino was my first full-time instructor. Um, you know he was a great guy. He was great at teaching and he actually introduced me to stuff like Joseph Mayo's information back in the day when, when Trackman Maestro was his name and we were all learning about the radar sure. and, and how to use it and uh, Steve then went on to work for Todd Sones, a great putting and, and short game coach who also does full swing in Chicago. And then from there, he went on to Andrew Rice, um, who we all know does coach camp and, and a lot of great things down in Savannah. And now Steve's on to do his own academy. And, and um, so he's doing great in Chicago. 
um, teaches outdoors and then does a dome in the winter. And then most recently, Christian Freiland was my junior golf leader. Um, he's the best I've ever had with kids. Um, just super patient, uh, makes it fun. And uh, our, our kids loved him. He is a Clemson grad and got an opportunity to go be uh, assistant professional there and, and look at growing their junior program and lesson business at the Walker course at Clemson. And, you know, I can't blame him. Uh, Clemson's got a pretty good football team right now. So I think yeah. it was a, a good time to move to that golf course and hang out and watch uh, his alumni play. Um, yeah. But I'm really proud of those guys and stuff like the swing shack. My dad was an entrepreneur and, you know, I love the teaching part of the business, but I actually like the business part of it too, of, of being able to develop uh, programs and these guys and then see them go out and do it on their own as well. Yeah, it's always difficult when you lose a talented associate that you've put some time and energy into training and developing and probably learned as much off of them as they learned off of you, but it's always hard to let them go. But, you know, at the end of the day, you're almost like a parent. You say, look, it's time for you to fly. And it really, it does make us proud. We see that happen for sure. So kudos to you for being that mentor, sending those guys out into the world to, to do great things in our business. Um, you know, you've got a lot of ranking yourself, you know, with being a top U.S. Kids Golf Master Coach, and, and that's something, that, a great honor that, that I share with you as well. I think that's fantastic, and you've, uh, you've had a lot, of, a lot of success with young players, as you mentioned, these young players that you're coaching that will do great things. But you, you're a player yourself, and let's talk a little bit about your interest in staying a player as well as a coach and what drives your passion to compete, and uh, you've had some success there. So tell us about your playing. Yeah, one of the things I always like to advertise, which is, is probably one of my biggest weaknesses, is advertising. I, I don't like to, you know, throw those accolades out all the time and, and everything. Um, but one of the things I do like to advertise is I play over 100 rounds of golf every year. Uh, I have a very forgiving wife that allows me mm -hmm. to play golf and teach, you know, five, six, seven, eight lessons a day. Uh, which doesn't leave much time at home, uh, you know, so I catch up when I can. But um, the reason that playing is so important to me is, is, number one, I love it. I still love, you know, trying to figure out what swing I can take to the golf course and score with and what short game ideas really work on the golf course. But then I want to apply that to my students. Everything that I teach, I try and test before I apply it. Anything I've learned from George over the last 16 months, um, which a lot of it has been really helpful, but I think with everybody, I've thrown a few ideas out that I'm like, I can't do that. And I may go back to it or, or what mm -hmm. have you, but um, I test it on the golf course and, and then take it out to my students. The other thing that I try and do is, this high school group that I'm working with, I try and control the lesson T where we're not doing all technique. You know, a great example is my lessons are sold in four packs for locals here in Charleston a lot of times. Mm -hmm. In that four pack, if I get a kid that's doing what we're working on, let's say two lessons in, I have an agenda where I want to go from there. The next thing I want to work on but that doesn't mean we do it in the third lesson. If they come in and they're hitting it good, like Michael Coles was the other night, um, I said, all right, let's take it to the golf course and let's see if you can beat me with it. Mm -hmm. you know? and, and so that creates where 
not every lesson has to be full swing technique. Sometimes the lesson can be, let's just test it out and let's see if you can align on the golf course or if your strategy is good. You know, are, are you hitting driver on a par four where when you hit driver, you're putting a bunker into play, but if you hit three wood, you have a nine iron in and the bunker's not in play. Sure. So there's a lot more to this thing than, than the technique. I think sometimes we get all caught up in the technique mainly because of the internet and technique looks really cool on the internet, but, uh, <laughs> getting into things like course strategy and the psychology, I know you've had Dr. Brett McCabe on, on, you mm-hmm. know, learning what we do when our bodies get nervous and how to slow down on the golf course and those kinds of things are, are things that I also want to bring to my lesson to you. And so I try and make sure and do that throughout a package and not look at every lesson like we have to do technique only. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. I know for myself uh, as well, I found way more productive if we can get players to, you know, survive in the jungle as opposed to, you know, live live out their life in a cage. You know, as a, as a golfer, the, the driving range is kind of like a controlled environment, kind of like a cage. Uh, it doesn't really ask for change much, and, and certainly on the golf course, we're going to be dealing with a lot of variation. So I, I take players out there all the time, and I found that to be way more effective in helping them actually play. So by you being a player, you understand that, you know, and get, getting under the, the gun in, in a tournament, you understand what it feels like to have to make a six-footer to, to, you know, keep the round going, and uh, I think that's fantastic. I, I have not played a lot myself, unfortunately, um, Seven to ten rounds a year is is about the most for me. Um, I got to go to Ireland and play eight rounds of golf this year, so it was a lot of fun to play, but I find it difficult. Um, I'm not a member of the PGA, so I don't get to play in the section events, and as a professional, it's hard to find professional events you can play in that are you know, reasonable price, so I just, I just stick to the lesson tee and the coaching, and, uh, and I'm fine with that. But uh, I, I'm kudos to you for being – young and dedicated to playing. Now, you've got some responsibilities at home. I see you have three daughters, and one of which is a nine-month-old. Am I reading that correctly? Yeah, yeah. We've got a, a full house, all girls, so. Um, You're outnumbered, you know. dude. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, uh, it's a lot of fun at the house, and, and, and they're, uh, they're great to come home to every day after teaching. I always tell people, you know, um, I've been approached by some students they are in the financial world and they ask me about retirement and stuff. And I always say, well, I, I don't know many golf pros that actually retire because the job's so fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but right now I think my goal in teaching is figuring out a barn or something to buy to hold all these weddings that I got to pay for. <laughs> uh, so, but, uh, but they're a blast to hang out with. And, and uh, you know, they, they, some of them will get into golf. I, you know, all those golf parents, I know your son uh, played collegiately and is caddying now. And that's such a tough balance is trying not to push it on them and, and just expose yep. them to it. And I think you did a, a great job in that. Um, I got to meet him up here the other day and he was a, a super nice young man. And uh, hopefully I'll see him more around as he's in this area. Well, good. I, I appreciate you saying that. Yeah. He's a good kid. He's working hard trying to find his way and, yeah, you're right. Pushing it on them is never going to create the results you hope for, and you just want to give them an opportunity, and that's that's pretty much what I did. Uh, I was teaching a lot. My son was always around, and if he wanted balls to hit on the range, he had them, and you know, so the opportunity was always there. Um, you know, so I hope they appreciate that opportunity and, and take advantage of it, but you're right. You don't push it on them. 
So tell us a little bit about your 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 wife. She's uh, I'm assuming probably an incredible incredible mother to be a mother of three, and then counting you, be four. So she's taking care of a lot there. Does she play the game of golf herself? Yeah. So Caroline um, played high school golf in Texas, and then she had the opportunity to walk on at uh, Oklahoma State. Wow. Um, and uh, upon getting to school, uh, decided that she wanted to focus more on her major, which was interior design. And so she just played at Karsten and actually hung around with a lot of the guys on the team at that time. You know, so she's got a, a great golf background. She doesn't play as much anymore. In fact, we're looking at ways to get her back uh, back into the game as the girls get older. But, you know, she can still hit it. We went to Strain Song a year ago, and, and by the third round, um, she was playing playing really good golf um, and just getting the bug back. So it's just finding the way to do that. It's like anybody, you know, when, when you have these students that come and you're you're teaching all the time, you realize that they're just trying to balance the time to get in some golf. Right. And uh, one of the things I always harp when we're looking at that is, is we got to look at how we practice. You know, currently in practice is looked at, let's go buy a hundred balls. <laughs> and if we hit a hundred balls, we're going to get better. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not aerobic. This, you're not building up any endurance hitting a hundred balls. Mm-hmm. What the goal should be is to get 30 balls hop out of the car and can I hit three good nine irons in a row, three good seven irons in a row, three good five irons in a row, three good drivers in a row. And I've got seven balls left. I hit 23 balls. I'm going to hop in the car. I'm going to go home and then I'm going to try and do it again tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, that's more like golf. We're going to hit a shot off the tee box. We're going to go look for our competitor's ball, hopefully not ours. And that's going to create some time and space. And then we got to be able to get in a routine that allows us to hit a good shot again. Sure. Um, so it's really trying to solve that problem. You know, everybody says, hey, I hit it great on the range. Well, anybody can hit 27 irons in a row and start getting in a groove, but finding the routine that allows us to do it. Right. Uh, speaking of that, Alan, one of the questions I really wanted to ask you about while we were on is just like, one of the things I want to improve in my instruction, especially with my players, is putting. And I know you're really well known for that um, and, and done a lot of aim point work. And, you know, one of the things I find is the routine part of putting mm-hmm. and just kind of what you found in terms of green reading time and even starting the stroke that's the most successful for your players. Well, that's a great question. I work on pre-shot routine a lot with players trying to help them understand how to engineer their best pre-shot routine so that they can perform. And uh, there's no absolute formula for it, but I do feel that the majority of good players have a solid mental and physical routine. I want them to understand that there's a difference between the mental aspects of your routine and the physical aspects of your routine. And you could look at any good player and watch them on television on Saturday or Sunday's round and watch them go through a very repetitive physical series of movements where they position themselves in a certain place to get the best read and select their target. Uh, whatever process they use to come up with that target is, is, is up to the player. I certainly do recommend they take an aim point class with me and get that education so they have some real awareness of what the physical factors are. They're going to affect the way that ball behaves on the ground um, but with the routine, uh, you know, there's a, a pretty basic guide that I would use with most players. I'd say, let's talk about step one. Step one might be what I would call see it. 
And I want them to see the putt for what it is, see the putt that they're facing, and take in all the factors of that putt. Um, you know, pretty deep rabbit hole here, but you're going down. But see, see a distance, see a slope, see a target, uh, see the ball move at the pace you want it to move, and see the ball go in the hole. And so all the things that go into building a good routine, I think, start with their visualization and their target selection and their just general awareness of what they're dealing with with a putt. And most often, players are skipping that step, that significant step, to really see the putt, see it successfully go in the hole and create that picture. <clears throat> so if, if they skip that step, then the whole system kind of fails, really. The second step, I would say, is for the majority of players is to feel it and trying to make maybe rehearsal strokes that would rehearse some sense of, of feel in the stroke that they're going to use. And the majority of what I'm wanting them to feel is their mechanisms for creating proper speed delivery. So if they feel the stroke, they're not feeling for any perfection in the arc or perfection in the line. They're feeling the energy that they're applying to the ball to kind of create the distance they want the ball to travel. Um, uh, and again, that to me is just is something that's rehearsed. It's something that's deep. Uh, I could talk about stroke length. I could talk about timing and rhythm and hitting the ball solid and all the physical factors that might influence how much energy a ball receives from a stroke. But the idea is the player's feeling that. They're not trying to be technical or mechanical. They're just feeling how much energy they want the ball to leave the putter with. Uh, step three is simply arranging the putter and aiming it. So I say that aim it. they got to point the putter somewhere when they put it behind the ball. And hopefully they're pointing it in the direction they want to start the putt, not some other direction and then change with their stroke. But the reality is some players do. They aim their putter slightly to the right. They rotate the putter a little bit and release the face and hit it on the line they're intending to. So another deep rabbit hole. But step three I would refer to as, as aim it. And step four is, is do it or trust it. However you like to say that, you're just going to hit the putt that you've visualized and felt. And so to me, those steps kind of give you a guide to build your physical and mental routine. At the end of the day, you're hitting a putt on a direction with an energy. So it's line and speed. And you have to come to those two decisions very um, organically, naturally, without a whole lot of technical thought going on. And that's what the routine's designed to do, is get a player to make those decisions. Here's my line. Here's my speed. Here's my line. Here's my speed. As they hit the putt, that's really what it boils down to. So if a routine can do that and get the player in their best performance, uh, then it's a successful routine. But those are some thoughts I have about putting routines. I always find as a player, I mean, I think those are like so dead on and, and that's the area of the game. I'm always trying to improve the most in my own game, but I find that the days that I putt really well, my timing feels really good. And, mm -hmm. and I often wonder, you know, I was never a great musician and I would say putting's the, the weaker part of my game. And I know you're more musically inclined and uh, I, I wonder if there, that's just part of the you know, natural skills that some players have that others don't is that timing element of that whole, that whole routine. You know, when the timing's on, it seems a lot easier to control that speed. Well, I'd agree, and I think it certainly doesn't hurt to have a, a background in music or an understanding of timing and rhythm. 
Uh, it's been a, it's been certainly an asset to me. I think it helps me with putting and so forth. But I think it's it can it can be taught. It certainly can't be um, overlooked. And and the attempt to teach it is not always easy to uh, to get it into some players' heads. And some players are going to struggle more with that timing element. But the the basis of it, I think, when they walk across the ground from point A to point B, you can discover that they have some natural timing to their cadence, even their walk. And if they're not musical, you can say, well, are you aware of when you walk, you have a, a rhythm, you know, a tempo, and try to maybe match up to something that's natural to that person that they already do subconsciously without thinking about it. So I might look to their cadence a little bit to try and help them find a natural rhythm they can repeat. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. I've put players on you know, metronome before and uh, sometimes with success and other times you can tell that their awareness of that beat is, is not very good. You know, you're trying to get them to feel, a, you know, you know, 76 beats per minute on your metronome and they have no clue where to start the stroke or, or anything. And it's like, well, okay, that's not going to work with this person. So you, you do experience different avenues of success, but uh, yeah, it's not a one size fits all. It's certainly a challenge that I enjoy. You know, I'm, I'm certainly on the putting green a lot with people saying, well, you probably would benefit greatly by learning how to two-putt from 25 feet instead of worrying about hitting a 320-yard drive, you know. Uh, yeah. you, can't, you can't dunk a basketball. doesn't necessarily mean you can't shoot a foul shot, you know. Yeah. we, we got to be able to do that. That sounds like the art of teaching, the way you're adjusting that to, to the player, you know, some that are bad on the metronome, which would definitely be me. But, like, you know, when you listen to these podcasts and stuff, I mean, I can tell you just listen to you, something that I'm going to go out and – try and pay a little closer attention to is how I walk around the green uh, and that cadence when I'm playing well, you know, or yeah. even when I'm playing bad to see if I can notice the difference between the two. Yeah. Um, you know, I listen to these podcasts all the time. Um, and there's a lot of great golf ones out there and it's like, you're just trying to get, you know, a few nuggets that can help you as a player. Well, that's right. And as a coach, I think we're always looking for gold and, and digging, so so to speak, for gold nuggets. But the idea is it, it doesn't really mean there's one way any of this is done. Uh, and that's why we're always looking for that next gold nugget. And you know, we can apply a tool to a particular task. And uh, hey, there's a lot of different screwdrivers when you go into Lowe's hardware, you know, and there's a reason for that. A lot of different screws to turn uh, on our lesson tee. And, and we, we're fascinated. We're, we're probably the biggest questions uh, unanswered guys and that's why we get up every day we got to answer some more questions for our players and uh passionate coaches and teachers are we're uh kind of a rare breed but that's what gets us going and keeps us going for sure it's a cool industry to see all the all the guys in it that are you know i think most guys that are teachers are teaching because they love it and, and it's cool to see it and and uh you know, this past year hanging out with George and seeing his passion on the tee and, and how much fun they have has been infectious on my tee, um, you know, and we do a lot more uh, uh, joking around and having fun but w with technique. And, um, you know, you mentioned those screwdrivers. George probably would be the brightest screwdriver at Lowe's. Uh, he'd probably stand out the most. But, um you know, it's been fun learning his differences, and, and it's not saying that they're the only way, but there have been some of those discoveries, like we were just talking about, that I've enjoyed using on my lesson tee. And, uh, yeah, so I think we just keep searching as teachers for, you know, I don't know who the next 
person or thing I'll be, be looking at to see what they're doing differently, but I know there will be one and we keep searching um, to find the answers. Well, I think you're on it. I think it's, it's an evolution, if you will. I know my, my teaching, much like yours, has changed over the years, and we just keep changing uh, our techniques to, to try and give our players the best we can give them. Um, you know, I always tell my students, to say it's best to be a learner, uh, and I hold up the, the signal L, you know, with my thumb and first finger shaped like an L, and I say that doesn't stand for loser, it stands for learner. And I said, I'm a listener as well, so I hold up my other hand in a backwards fashion to show two L's, and I put those two things together, and it creates a W, kind of like this. I say, you got to listen, you got to learn, and you become a winner if you, you stay on that course of learning. So um, kind of a signal that I use to let people know I'm, I'm a student of the game. That's why I feel, I feel like I have things to share and uh, want to continue that. So. One of the things that I would like to do is go into a little bit more before we wrap things up, go into some things that you've learned that will help students, um, you know, gain some distance. I know you said you've gained some club head speed and, and some distance as a result. What are we looking for to create that additional club head speed? I know solid contact transfers that energy to the ball, but there are players that have very low club head speeds and they need to learn how to create some additional speed. So give us some gold there. Yeah, so I, th I think the big thing is, is just getting more shallow. If, if we can get the angle into the golf ball to be flatter, what we're going to do is we're going to reduce backspin. And essentially, backspin is going to kill a lot of our distance. Um, so I look at a number called vertical swing plane. Um, but if you were to take video and draw a line on the club shaft of your golf club from a down-the-line video, so you draw an angled line right up the shaft, Basically, the closer the club travels down that angled line, the more shallow it's coming in. And you're going to have less backspin. So if you get a centered strike and you get it to come in shallower, you're going to hit it further. Now, mm -hmm. from there, to get it to go further, we would have to increase speed. And so one of the things that we want to do to increase speed is we want to get the body rotating. So when I get players to the top of the backswing, we do a drill called a freezer where we have them stop there at the top of the backswing. And then we have them feel like they turn their body. And when I say turn the body, I mean the whole body, sternum and belt buckle or shirt buttons and belt buckle turn towards the target. But as they do that, they feel like they don't pull down on the grip of the club. So they feel like the club stays up because if I pull down on the handle and I get the club moving down, I'm never going to be able to turn my body in front of that club or get more rotation. The club's already getting to the golf ball. If I can get that rotation started, my hands and arms and my lateral shift all end up contributing a little bit at the end of that swing or near impact anyways. So all I have to do is get turning early and get the angle of attack to be shallower to get it flatter on the downswing. Um, and that'll get us more distance. It's really cool when you see it live in person. Yeah, I'm fascinated with that that concept because if, if I get a lot of my players turning early um, from the top, the tendency is to see that hand path go out and that club come from the outside. So how do you compete with that and get the hands to travel uh, you know, better in that transition? Yeah, so uh, the key there is creating enough depth in the backswing to be able to rotate because the hand path actually does go out. It goes on an angled line. So we're looking at it going down and out at the same time. 
But you're right. If you didn't have enough depth, which, which a way of describing depth would be if we had video and I took the club to the top of the backswing and I drew a straight line down from where the end of the grip is, the butt end of the grip, that line needs to fall near the heel of my shoes. Mm -hmm. Now I have enough depth so that when I start rotating, the club won't get thrown over the top. Gotcha. It'll yeah. actually come down plane. The other thing that's going to help that is at that top of the backswing, if I've set up properly armpits, kneecaps, balls of feet, and I've extended my spine to the top, I'm taller. When I rotate, my body should be lowering into the ground. Mm -hmm. And that lowering of the body into the ground is going to give enough of the down element as the club handle goes out that it's still going to be shallow. But if you do it from narrow, like if we took a Brooks Kepka and told him to just turn from the top, mm -hmm. he would be in a lot of trouble. Got you. Uh, but Brooks Kepka is, is strong enough to where I would say he's giving up some distance uh, for accuracy with a little bit of a spinny ball flight. Him and Rory McIlroy are kind of pretty opposite golf swings, and it just goes to show there's more than one way to do it. Oh, yeah. Um, for the average guy, though, increasing distance by getting them on a flatter plane and getting them rotating their body, I've seen be real successful. Those high school kids I always go back and mention, I've got them up around 114 is the average for those three players I work with. And uh, we're, we want to be at 120 by senior year. Wow. Those are great goals. And seeing that club head speed increase is obviously the, the proof in the pudding, so to speak, and, and for yourself as well. So good job. Yeah, I think that's what we need to understand. If, if we're doing something to get, you know, deeper hands, that gives us the space that we need to make that rotation, bring the club on the proper shallow approach. And, and that's an understanding. That's what I wanted you to explain for people out there trying to understand this, this approach and why it works. So, yeah, yeah, one of those things with the, the reason we got to get back to deeper hands to get shallow, too, is one of the things that – you know, has helped my students is we're moving away from restricting motion. You know, we, we got in where we were teaching players to have the right knee bent in their backswing. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that restricted the abilities, hips to turn and, and the chest to turn. So if I allow my right leg to straighten, not all the way to a locked position, but allow it to straighten, I'm always going to get more rotation. Um, and so, you know, the, the body works kind of like pistons. I've got to have the right side of my body extend or, or lengthen like a piston, okay, to get more rotation. And then what's going to happen is I'm going to have that piston go back down into the ground. And now my left side of my body is going to start to extend or lengthen like a piston to keep the rotation going. Right. Um, if we don't get that full extension, we're not going to turn as much. Yep, totally agree. That's fantastic. So what we want to leave the listeners with is some ways to get in touch with you. I know you have a website. It's lowcountrylessons.com. And any other social media uh, addresses you want to mention, things that you're on, and active places to see uh, Brandon Ray in, in, in action? Yeah, the main thing I post now is is on Instagram. It's lowcountrylessons on Instagram. You can Check out um, my info there and, and see all my players. And we like to have a good time with that page. Um, we just got our 500 post up the other day and uh, always looking for more followers there. So please check out Low Country Lessons on Instagram. And if you're in Charleston, come by and see the Swing Shack and, and get in for a lesson. 
Well, Brandon, I tell you, you and I could go on forever talking about golf and the golf swing, and I hope you'll come back on a show in the future. It's been great having you, my friend, and I look forward to coming down and checking out the Swing Shack in person myself very soon. Um, Alan, thanks thanks for having me. Uh, I got to get up your way, and we got to work on some putting, my man. Well, I'd love to have you come up and bring the flat stick, and let's enjoy some time together, my friend. All right, buddy. Thank you. Hey, thanks again. Brandon Ray, our guest today on The Forecast. I want to, again, remind all of our listeners, if you have comments or would like to get in touch with us here, you can do so at info at themesh.tv. Reach me personally at alan at alanburtongolf.com. And please, listeners, seek out Brandon Ray. If you're in the Charleston area, stop by and see him over at the fantastic facilities there and and enjoy the, the Swing Shack and Brandon's knowledge because he's a fantastic golf coach and has a lot to share. Thanks again for listening today. I'm your host, Alan Burton. It's been fun. We'll see you next time on The Forecast. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.